find yourself in a world that no longer makes sense. When you realize that a man like Epstein didn't Epstein himself. When the police are defunded, but Pakistan gets a gender studies grant. You may be in the Collapse Experiment. Welcome back to the Collapse Experiment. This is... Uh, I, I miscalculated. This is going to be the last episode of uh, Operation Lockstep. Apparently, um, I already did the previous four. This is going to be concluding thoughts. <laughs> Not just for Operation Lockstep, for, but for me as well. So let's get to it, shall we? Concluding thoughts, as you have seen, uh, such as you as you have seen, each of the scenarios, if it were to unfold, would call for different strategies and have different implications uh, for how a range of organizations will work and relate to changes in technology. But no matter what would what world might emerge, there are real choices to be made about that about what areas and goals to address and how to drive success towards particular objectives. We hope that reading the scenario narratives are their accompanying stories about philanthropy, technology, and people has sparked your imagination, provoking new thinking about these emergent themes and their possibilities. Three key insights stood out to us as we developed these scenarios. Really. I'm thinking Klaus Schwab probably read this and it's probably his uh, preferred uh, uh, wanking material. Uh, first, the link between technology and governance is critical to consider in better understanding how technology could be developed and deployed. In some futures, the primacy of the nation-state as a unit of analysis and development was questioned as both supra- or sub-national structures proved more salient to the achievement of development goals. In other futures, the nation-state's power strengthened and it became an even more powerful actor, both to the benefit and to the detriment of the, develop the development process, depending on the quality of governance. <laughs> we do not have quality here. <laughs> Just going to point that out. Technologies will affect governance, and governance in turn will play a major role in determining what technologies are developed and who those technologies are intended and able to benefit. A second reoccurring theme in the scenarios is that development will work will require different levels of intervention, possibly simultaneously. In some scenarios, philanthropic organizations and other actors in development face a set of obstacles in working with large institutions, but may face an un yet unfolding set of opportunities to work with non-traditional partners, even individuals. The organization that is able to navigate between these levels and actors may best position may be best positioned to drive success. How do you really define success? The third time, uh, the third theme highlights the potential value of scenarios as one critical element of strategy development. These narratives have served to kickstart the idea generation process, build the future-oriented mindset of participants, and provide a guide for ongoing 
tread monitoring and horizon scanning activities. They also offer a useful framework that can help in tracking and making sense of early indicators and milestones that might signal the way in which the world is actually transforming. While those four scenarios vary significantly from one another, one theme in common to them all. Uh, new innovation and uses of technology will be an active and integral part of the international development story going forward. The changing nature of technologies could shape the characteristics of development and the kinds of development aid that are in demand in a future in which technologies are effectively adopted and adopted by poor people on a broad scale. Expectations about the provision of services could fundamentally shift, developing a deeper understanding of the ways in which technology can impact development, will better prepare everyone for the future and help all of us drive it in new and positive directions. All of us? Who who are they really talking about here? The following is a list of 15 critical uncertainties presented to participants during the project's primary scenario creation workshop. These uncertainties were themselves selected from a significantly longer list generated during earlier phases of research and extensive interviewing. The uncertainties fall into three categories, technology, social and environmental, and economic and political. Each uncertainty is presented along with two polar endpoints, both representing a very different direction in which that uncertainty might develop. Okay, let's see here. Technologies with the most impact on blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I'm not even going to read through these. Um, Rules and norms around entrepreneurial activity, but yeah, they're just, um, yeah, that's kind of a waste of time there. Um, list of participants, the report is the result of extensive efforts and collaboration among Rockefeller Foundation initiative staff, foundation grantees, and external experts. The Rockefeller Foundation and the GBN would like to extend special thanks to all of the individuals who contributed their thoughtfulness and expertise throughout the scenario process, their enthusiastic participation in interviews, workshops, and ongoing uh, iterations of the scenarios made this cooperative process more stimulating and engaging than ever could have been otherwise. Oh, they, they got down and dirty with this, didn't they? Uh, it's listing the, really, that's it. That's, that's the conclusion there. That, that was it. That, that was the concluding thoughts. There, there really were no thoughts here. They're just like, Hey, we, we hope you enjoyed this and, uh, we, we had fun doing it. And, um, uh, yeah. So anyways, concluding, th my concluding thoughts with Operation Lockstop, um, it's, fairly fairly creepy in some ways uh, for obvious reasons especially when it talks about the Wuhan virus uh, in the very first scenario <laughs> uh, how it kind of maps out um, governments using technology in order to control and uh, monitor citizens the, the length of time that they thought that people would actually put up with that kind of crap that was interesting 
It was basically saying that people would put up with, I don't know, lockdowns, wearing masks, all the stuff that we've dealt with for the last two years. And they were like, oh, you know, 10 years is probably a good time span that people would do this for. No. <laughs> nope. You were, you're definitely wrong on that one. Um, it's a very... Uh, uh, it's fascinating and, and it is an interesting paper to look at considering it was published in 2010. So this is 12 years ago. A lot of the stuff they talked about possibly happening during the, the what, 2000 teens? Is that what they're calling it? Um, majority of that stuff did not happen. And when things from the paper did start happening, it was 2019, 2020 is when we started seeing a lot of this stuff. So, um, is it uh, prophetic in a way? In some ways, yes. Uh, there, there seems to be a, a very common uh, thread of ideas that viruses and diseases were going to come out of Wuhan for some reason, probably because of the lab, most likely because of the lab. Um, but there was there's quite a few people who were were talking about that. Like I mentioned before, Dean Koontz uh, wrote a book about a a virus, a plague that swept across the world. And guess where that originated from? Um, Fauci, for some reason, decided to send all the stuff that we were working on in the United States over to <coughs> Wuhan. This is all documented. This is all from Obama saying, get this crap out of our country, do it somewhere else. I don't think he said the second part. I think that was the loophole that Fauci found in order to keep this process going. And uh, if you look through the Fauci emails, yes, they're available at thecollapseexperiment.com, you will find some very early on ones that are highly interesting, especially when he receives a notification of a certain virus in a certain country. Um that has different characteristics that they are familiar with. And Fauci's reply is, oh my God, is it one of ours? So very telling. Um, that, that seems to be one of the most uh, highlighted aspects of the Rockefeller paper. There are other things, different programs that the federal government and other governments are doing, especially when it comes to Oh, you know, limiting bank accounts, monitoring people online, limiting free speech, limiting mobility, tracking people in their encounters. Because uh, after all, if you have the flu, that means that these other 1,200 people that you came across, possibly at your local supermarket, may have the virus too and y'all need to be locked down. This type of thing is what they were getting at with uh, some of the scenarios in here. A lot of the international stuff um, was kind of crazy. Like they were trying to predict that, you know, this country would have an earthquake. This other country would have this other stuff going on. Um, they were definitely late on the food production, especially when it came to this was this was one of my first thoughts back in 2020 uh, when it was announced we were going on lockdown in Michigan. Uh, I definitely, my head started, uh, rolling through the scenario. Okay. We do this lockdown thing. If it continues on after, after the two weeks to flatten the curve, remember that one? 
Uh, we just need two weeks. We need to learn about the virus. We need to keep people out of the hospital. We can't overwhelm the hospitals. So limit your activity. We're going to shut down all these businesses. By the way, fuck you. You're still paying taxes and uh, you don't pay. We're going to drive you out of business. Yeah, that was that was a great plan. Great job. Um, I really hope all those governors that had these policies are fired. Um, my My initial thought was if... If nothing is open, if you're not allowed to go anywhere and government officials are at home like everyone else are, why are you collecting taxes? There's nobody to pay. There's no jobs being done. But yeah, they want their money. Anyways, uh, getting back to the topic. So I remember running all this stuff through my head. And the first thought was, okay, so there's going to be a pandemic that this is here. This is happening. Got a newborn at home. What, what comes after a pandemic? Famine. Why, why do you have famine afterwards? Because people can't work the fields if they're sick. And if you're shutting down borders, which part of a pandemic is countries like to shut down their borders and not import or export certain things because you're going to transmit the virus. Food. Food becomes an issue. When food becomes an issue, you have civil unrest, strife, riots, yeah, we had that, 2020. That was ahead of schedule for me. I'm sorry, but that moved on a lot quicker. It wasn't food riots, but we had riots. You had civil strife. Um, and then after that, uh, when when countries are weakened, when natural resources are dwindling because um, shit's not organized, things aren't moving, uh, that's when you go to war. Because uh, what little resources you have, you can use in order to steal somebody else's little resources. And uh, that, is, that is primarily the, the cause of war in history, is resources. We don't have this, they do, they're not willing to trade with us, we'll take it. So um, that's where we're heading. We're, we're definitely heading towards war. And the timelines... Definitely a bunch of people with um, too high of educations who sit in uh, cubicles a good portion of their day, having very deep thoughts while not being unemployed. Um, yeah, they their estimate for I think it was they were saying twenty thirty we're gonna start seeing like crop harvest shortages and food shortages and. Uh, and for some reason, we're going to have a depletion in, in food and uh, famines across the country or the world. And that new technologies and, and GMO crops would have to be developed in order to counter climate change. Um, it, it's, it's not really climate change. It's, it's human change. We're, we're changing how we're trying to farm and we don't know how we're, we're, what we're changing it to. Uh, you got to love it. When these people come out and say, well, we're going to switch to organic and natural forms of farming, which means that we need to, um, you know, use manure spreaders and, and such things, which farmers already do. I'm just pointing that out there. Just so you know, farmers already do that. But the majority of food that keeps our population of what we're at 8 billion people right now, all of that is from artificial fertilizers cannot have that population when it comes to organic farming. You can have a whole lower population, you can sustain a lower population, but it also doesn't work when you get rid of the cows. 
So again, idiots in charge. Well, car, cows fart. Cows are bad. Um, can't have can't have cows. Well, now you just got rid of the manure spreaders, which means lower and lower crop yields. Unless we do rotating crops, which uh, yeah, mechanized farming doesn't really work well with that. Unless you're just doing soy and corn, and nobody can really live on that shit. So. The Rockefeller Foundation, did they really solve anything? Did they get people's gears going with this paper? I'm going to say no. If anything, they created more conspiracy theories. How did they know about the Wuhan virus? How did they know that we we're going to have uh, crop shortages? How did they know about the, the internet spying uh, mechanisms that governments would unfold? It's because they've all been talking about this shit for years. Let's be honest, um, this paper was written three years before the Edward Snowden uh, reveals. Um, this stuff was already going on. A lot of this stuff was already going on. Uh, they already knew the direction a lot of this stuff was going in. Uh, granted, I'm actually kind of surprised that they didn't talk about things like uh, peak oil. Um, that didn't really come up. They did talk about transferring over to green energy but at the same time they didn't discuss as to how if you get rid of oil and natural gas which they want to do how do you substitute the artificial fertilizers and keep feeding the population uh, the answer is you don't they they didn't discuss that at all they just said that there was going to be famines and we'd we'd create new crops that can grow in these harsher environments and I just don't see that happening either. I don't. I'm sorry. But um, anyways, uh, it was a nice um, piece of sci-fi fantasy. Uh, obviously, the decade that they were looking at did not come to fruition, but a lot of the stuff they talked about is happening now. So if you want to get some ideas, I guess this is where the paper comes in handy. You want to get some ideas as to where these people who are currently running things thought that the world was heading uh, you can check out this paper uh, kind of see some of the things that they were discussing talking about what they they put in here and um, who knows maybe it'll benefit you at the least it's somewhat entertaining to think about what these people were considering for not just their future but ours as well so that is it. That is uh, critical thoughts on uh, Operation Lockstep. This is the final episode of the series. And remember, if there's anything you should have learned from this paper, it's that you are the carbon they want to reduce. Thank you for listening to the Collapse Experiment podcast. For more content, check out thecollapseexperiment.com where you can find the latest news articles. If you'd like to help out this podcast, check out books by Matthew Gilman on Amazon. Or you should just buy gold and silver. Just just buy gold and silver. It's, it's a better investment, and uh, you might actually have something to trade later on when the world <laughs> falls apart. <laughs>